Welcome back, Harrier Bog Bean. It's good to be back. A little bit of background for our listeners. Last week, Harrier Bog Bean got into a very effective hair growing poultice. Yes, lavender Culpepper's Rosemary's Not So Very Bold Baby's Poultice. Yes, that poultice. He had a good foot and a half of hair growing all over his body. Or, as we say, in the rest of the world, half a meter of hair growing off of my body. Yes, it was a lot. We had to send him back to the Isle of Shealta to get it reversed. Which brings us to our new sponsor, Peyote's Portal Travel Agency. Looking to get away, but don't want to deal with the long hours of physical flight? TSA hassling you over contraband items and bland airplane food? Peyote's Portal Travel Agency can get you around the world or around the universe. Bags, amulets, and familiar spirits fly free. Well, that sounds like an awesome deal. What happened in the last episode, Harrier? We met my two siblings, Grouse and Buttercup. Two fine reporters there's never been. And we learned a little bit more about Queen Ashenpootle. Excellent. Enjoy the Story Weaver Chronicles, Episode 11, everyone. The Story Weaver Chronicles, Chapter 11 Harrier Bogbean He flew sporadically through the forest. The sun slipped through the trees behind him, and he shuddered. Everywhere, the solitude and gloom of the forest loomed over him, and no place seemed safe to rest and hide before nightfall. He chided himself for assuming the horseman would take Penelope to the palace, but the only person of interest was the queen. He soared to the top of a tree and looked around for a safe place to stay the night. He paused to catch his breath, certain that his erratic flying made him more visible. Oh, he hoped Grouse and Buttercup made it to Atmos without any problems. His first assignment for them was to break into the camera lab, where they would steal two cameras and more film plates. Grouse would stay in Atmos to track and photograph the king, and Buttercup was to join him at the queen's palace to help document the weaver's daughter. He shook his head in frustration. He hoped Buttercup would have enough sense to stay with the queen in the palace and document her. He just knew she was a figure of interest in their first news story. And an editor always had to follow his gut. A glimmer of firelight caught his eye. The flames danced and swayed in the wind. A campfire. That must be the rider and the girl, he thought. Hope rose in his chest as he kicked off branches and pummeled 
through the trees. It has to be her, it has to be her, he told himself, hoping and praying that he was right. All could be redeemed. If the campfire belonged to the writer and the girl, then his new story would be saved. His father would respect him, and he would be considered the most successful sprite in the land. He landed with a light thud on the ground near the campfire and bowed low to his imagined fans. Oh, to be considered serious and important. What a wonderful honor for a sprite. He padded along the thick needles on the forest floor and crept to the little group huddled around the fire. The smell greeted him before he could see who it was. Ugh, he gasped. Hobbs. He wrinkled his nose with disdain. The sprite's distant relatives had a dank, damp, moldy smell. Their city, being powered by water and framed by two waterfalls, made the air moist and cool, never allowing the hobs' clothing, or the hobs themselves, a chance to air out. These hobs were on the road, so their moldy scent compounded with sweat and the scent of tuber soup, a common meal for travelers. It was easy to find the tubers and quick to make, but smelled of spring onions. He covered his nose with a thick velvet napkin he picked up from the queen's palace and floated to the campfire. Hobbs were like folk in that they couldn't see into the invisible realm. He was glad of that and sat next to a fat, older hob smoking a pipe. Two hobs on the other side of the campfire argued in amicable tones with each other, and a hob with a long red beard wrapped up and around his head like a turban sat away from the group. He held a lantern and bent over a well-worn map. I can't believe that idiot fox left her with Pan, he muttered to no one in particular. Harrier scooted closer realizing that he spoke of Penelope. The fat hob looked up from his smoking. But do you really think that the weaver will change the king's story if we bring her daughter back? He asked, and looked quizzically down at his pipe. Harrier giggled as he held the velvet napkin over the end, and the embers faded and died. The king's a damned fool, the red-bearded man grumbled. Of course the weaver can't change his story. His wife's been dead 16 years. Can you imagine? He crumpled the map and leaned back against his tent. I'm interested in the girl. Not the king, not the weaver. It's the girl we need. Our only option is to go to the weaver's house. Maybe the girl will go there looking for her mother. He trailed off. The fat hob wasn't listening to him but was struggling to keep his pipe lit. He'd get a nice blaze going before the flame would snuff out as if someone or something were suffocating his fire. What the... He tipped his pipe over, hoping to clean it out, and a long trail of snot dripped down the side and landed on his knee. Harrier rolled backward and convulsed in peals of silent laughter, the oldest trick in the sprite's bag of tricks. All sprites had been blessed with copious amounts of snot. 
and whenever one wanted to pull a tease over on another creature, all one had to do was blow his nose, and an instant snot ball would be provided. You are disgusting, the red-bearded hob said. He turned away with disdain while the two hobs stopped their arguing and laughed at the fat one. He gagged and reached for a corner of his tent to wipe the snot off. Harrier sat underneath his outstretched arm, and the scent of the hob's armpit overwhelmed him. He gasped and held his breath, reaching for the other nostril to blow snot all over the tent, but froze as the laughter around him stopped. He looked up. The two hobs stared at him with open mouths and wide eyes, and the red-bearded hob jumped up, brandishing a knife. Oh no, he thought. He had held his breath into visibility. He turned to leap away, but the fat hob grabbed at his foot. He tried to breathe evenly, but felt himself flickering in and out of invisibility as his fear increased his breathing. The red-bearded hob swore and bellowed curses, and the other two joined him in trying to grab Harrier's other foot. He was breathing too fast. Slow down. Don't panic. His breathing evened, and he slipped into invisibility again, but the fat hob still held his foot. He couldn't fight much longer. The red-bearded hob grabbed his other leg. They dragged him towards the ground, and he slipped through the air. He reached out and grabbed a handful of the fat hob's pipe tobacco and flung it into the eyes of his captors. The ashes encased them all. They yelled and swore, but did not loosen their grips. His eyes grew bleary with the smell of tobacco. The ashes everywhere made it hard for him to breathe. He clawed for freedom, stretching his arms out into the sky, praying for someone or something to rescue him. And then... And then, ah, 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 ah-choo! Snot splattered the hobs as they violently released him in an attempt to ward off the boogers. But it was too late. They cursed at each other as he barrel-rolled into the deep blue sky. He laughed a long belly laugh. They stood below him, covered in thick green muck. He soared into the trees in glee, loving the forest for its darkness and protection in the night. He flew for almost an hour, finally resting in a large fir tree. Giddiness washed over him, followed by relief, then tears. All the worry from the day bore down on him. Would he ever find the weaver's daughter? He wiped at large drops of tears that rolled down his cheeks and let out a mournful whisper. Please let me find her. He flicked a teardrop off the tip of his finger and watched it roll down the leaf in front of him. A square shape behind the leaf formed a clunky shadow in the darkness. He floated up and looked closer. A small traveler's hut sat 50 meters before him. He felt a jolt of energy. This could be where the weaver's daughter was hiding. He flew into the air and soared down into the valley where the hut sat. Two figures on a horse approached the hut beneath him. And yes, there she was, sitting on the back of the horse behind the horseman. He alighted on a tree above them. 
he was indeed the world's greatest reporter. Penelope The rising moon cast eerie shadows over the thin path. Night crept through the trees, its long, thin fingers wrapped around each sapling and choked out the light. Nearly there, High leaned back. Apollo knows this forest from memory. He grew up here as a wild foal. Penny hoped his confidence in his horse's memory proved true. Each crack of branch, each wing beat of a forest bird heading to shelter for the night, fed the fear growing in her chest. They rounded a massive ancient tree and stood in front of an abandoned home, weighed down by saplings growing on the roof. Apollo stopped and hoofed at the ground. We're here, aren't we? High sounded happy for the first time since losing his eyesight. A place of rest for travelers and criminals. May we hope they never meet. He laughed to himself. Penny noticed that as they drew closer to the queen's palace, his surly mood lifted, and he grew more jovial. She examined the home. This doesn't look safe, she said. It's not, is it? He laughed. But it's far better than camping exposed in the forest. She agreed with him on that. Peace filled her as she thought of the safety a roof and four walls would provide them. High jumped off his horse. She guided him to the rotting doorway. Stay by the door. I'll check the rest of the house to make sure it's clear of pecking bird and biting beast. He felt along the wall and entered the room. Penny giggled at his crouched figure and peeked in after him. He did seem to have the floor plan memorized and groped his way along the wall, circumnavigating the large room before emerging with a grin. All clear, he announced. He whistled for his horse and grabbed his rein. The massive black head of Apollo nuzzled his shoulder. Horse and rider entered the house together. We can't have any forest beasts attacking my most brave companion. He patted Apollo's neck. We'll build a roaring fire to keep them at bay. Penny grinned and followed inside. She liked Apollo and smiled, happy that he would join them inside the traveler's hut. She paused in the middle of the room. The inside of the hovel did indeed look like a well-used rest stop for weary travelers. Dirt caked the wooden floor. Cobwebs hung limp and defeated in the corners. Abandoned furniture gathered in clumps around the large main table. Multiple benches lined the walls with blankets folded at the ends. The blankets were surprisingly clean. A hall led to another small room with a handful of tidy beds lined together to make the most of the small space. It's not so bad in here, Penny comforted herself. They brought firewood inside that another traveler must have piled outside the hut. High talked Penny through building a roaring fire in the stone hearth. The warmth filled the hut, and contentment filled Penny. High unpacked his bag, 
and set the salted meats, bread, and fruit from the treehouse on two plates, Penny found in a dilapidated cupboard. He poured lavender water in a cup for Penny and pulled out his own flask. They ate. High pressed his hands along his face as the swelling lessened. Every few minutes he would exclaim that it felt better. Penny felt a begrudged smile creep across her face. She was beginning to enjoy her time with High before a crisp, triple knock startled them out of their thoughts. High leapt to his feet and withdrew his sword. "'Who's here? A friend or foe of the queen?' he yelled. He raised his arms in defense. Penny looked around the room for a place to hide in case the intruder turned out to be a foe to her, but a jovial woman's voice answered him. "'What answer would you prefer I give?' "'Ah, I recognize that voice anywhere.' High smiled and approached the door as it opened. Penny thought that she, too, recognized the voice. A cloaked woman ran into the room with her arms open and wrapped high in an embrace. She pulled back and looked at him. A hawk flew from her shoulder and circled the room before landing on a shelf by the fireplace. "'It's been so long!' She gasped. What happened to your face? High turned a sheepish grin to the floor. I fell through some trees in the forest, but I'm a fast healer, and I can almost see again. He blinked his eyes to confirm. It's so good to see you here, sister. She pulled back the cloak off her head. Woven red hair tumbled down her back, and bright, mischievous eyes turned towards Penny. The deep scar etched down her face looked familiar. The woman eyed her with concern and did not seem surprised to see her there. Penny recognized the woman as the queen's guard, Drifa, and scowled at her. So she was high sister, oh wonderful, from one danger to another, Penny thought. Drifa was the one who aimed an arrow at her neck at their first meeting and hit her over the head with a rock. High interrupted her thoughts. But how did you find me? It's been six long months and I've been all over this kingdom. He clapped his hands on his sister's shoulders, his dim sight missing the exchange between her and Penelope. You're not as clever a soldier as you believe you are. But I stumbled across your path this afternoon. Sheer luck. She patted him on the shoulder. His furrowed brow relaxed, and with a smile, he motioned towards Penny. Drifa, this is Penelope. Drifa turned full face and winked with a smile. Penny jumped. As striking as Drifa stood during the day, the fluttering flames cast grotesque shadows on her wrinkled scar. Penny nodded and turned away, choosing instead to peer at the fire. Why was Drifa pretending to not know her? She turned a firm back. Sit down and join us for dinner, High beckoned Drifa in. Oh, we have our own rations. We wouldn't dream of using yours, but we will make ourselves at home. 
one half of her face opening up in a brilliant smile, and the other leering with the pull of the disfigured skin. Ah, so you're not traveling alone. Of course not, she retorted. I have my women with me. She let out a beckoning whistle, much like the one High did earlier to his horse, and Penny heard movement outside the home. The thick door opened again, and half a dozen cloaked women poured into the small hut. They all removed their riding cloaks and greeted High as a friend. Penny recognized a few of them as other guards of the queen. Under their cloaks they wore a light armor. They carried bows, sheaths of arrows, daggers, and swords, and set them against the walls. Most of them looked as if they had just come from battle, with bruises, scars, and matted hair that looked like it hadn't been washed in weeks. Penny sunk back into the chair, defeated. Drefa must be there to take her to the queen. She tried to suppress the panic that rose in her chest and looked for a way to escape when they all fell asleep. She rubbed her arms, trying to chase away the creeping dread growing over her. Despite her worries, the jovial banter of the women gave the room a carefree, light atmosphere. None of them paid much attention to her, but scurried around, tossing loaves of bread, carrots, and potatoes across the table. Penny smiled to see the fur-cloaked cook sitting by the fire and skinning a pair of rabbits. Penny caught her eye and waved, but the cook shook her head and looked down. For some reason, none of them wanted High to know that they knew Penelope. Drifa sat next to the fire chatting with her brother, the others casting her questions every now and again. Her answers were polite and succinct, but she seemed focused on her talk with her brother. Perhaps it was his sister's company, or the presence of so many weapons and hands that knew how to use them, but High relaxed and began to drink profuse amounts of wine. The rest of the night progressed with a hearty stew, loaves of stale bread, and happy chatter. Penny calmed down a little and listened to the banter of the women. Swiped from a dim-witted pirate, a reed-thin girl a few years older than Penny boasted and pointed towards a saber hanging at her side. The others laughed as High emerged from the cellar with bottles of black mead. Luffed over from the last occupants, he gushed, his face already rosy from the frothy liquid in his flask. Or your own private stash? Drifa jabbed at his ribs. High-filled and refilled glasses scrounged up from the old cupboard. A muscular girl pulled out a stringed instrument and played a dance tune while the others stomped and clapped to the rhythm. A buxom black-haired woman began to sing along and Drifa joined her in a spirited drinking song. Penny smiled and clapped along with the others, relaxing in their company as the music poured over her. The songs shifted from dances to romantic melodies, and in her mind she saw a golden hill surrounded by a grove of trees, a woman with long, dark hair and warm, loving eyes sang a lullaby. Sleep crept into the corners of her mind, sneaking in with a broom 
and erasing the edges of her memories and turning them into dreams. Someone let out a whoop and startled her awake. When her eyes fluttered open, they met Drifa's. She lifted her glass to Penny in a toast and offered a little smile. Penny scowled and shifted in her chair to turn away. The night grew colder and deeper. One by one, each woman fell asleep, some nodding off in their chairs, others making the effort to find a more comfortable place by converting the benches into beds or walking into the bedroom in the back. Penny crawled into a wide carved chair with a blanket and fell asleep to the memories of her mysterious mother. She dreamt of the golden mountain again, dark eyes and honeyed leaves falling from a golden tree. She felt warm and loved and home. She wanted to live in this dream, to stay here forever, to linger in the embrace of the only person she wanted to love her. But soft, Stifled voices pulled her back to the traveler's hut. Cracks of light seeped into the blackness of the room, and she peeked through her eyelashes towards the sound of muffled movement. The slats over the window provided enough light to see Drifa and the reed-thin girl kneeling over a sleeping high. Penny did not move. She heard her heart pounding in her chest, and she pleaded with it to stop. Their movements did not seem sinister, just precise and planned. The thin girl stood up and corked a bottle of mottled green liquid that the fire illuminated with a glow. Drifa stood. That should hold him for the next day and a half. She bent down and kissed High's forehead. Don't take it personally, dear brother. I just don't know if I can trust you. As if on cue, all the women who appeared to be sleeping stood up and began rolling their bedding and packing the food from the night before. They padded about the room, well orchestrated. Women stood dressed and ready to go, grabbing their weapons in a matter of seconds. Drifa approached her. Penny's heart squeezed in her chest as Drifa's scarred face grew closer she reached out a hand to her. Penny's reflexes kicked in, and she batted it away, jumping behind the chair. She had no weapons, but she was not going to let them poison her. Instead of lunging at her, Drifa pulled back and laughed. Easy there, Drifa whispered. You're as skittish as a baby deer. She offered Penny a hand. Sleep with one eye open, eh? I like that. Don't trust anyone. Drifa winked at her and turned to the other women. Make my brother comfortable and get everything on the horses. They nodded and filed out of the house into the rosy morning light. Drifa turned again to Penny. I don't trust you, Penny blurted out. You hit me over the head with a rock. You tried to shoot me with an arrow. Drifa chuckled. You are a story weaver, then. I would have never hit you with a rock. I gave you a clean, solid hit with my fist, just to keep you from running. The queen would have had the others shoot you if I didn't. I know my work for the queen would suggest otherwise. But I am a friend. 
I am first and foremost a priestess to the great storyteller, the weaver of our stories, your mother, and it is my duty to reunite the two of you. Well, that was episode 11, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed creating it. Remember to subscribe, review, and share the podcast, as well as visit our sponsor, Peyote's Portal Travel Agency, for your upcoming travel needs. Blessings, friends. Blessings, friends.